Welcome to the Australia Sews podcast. This podcast celebrates the Australian home sewing community and shares stories from everyday sewers transforming their lives and their wardrobes. My name is Louise Sherry. Today's special guest is Julia Mulcair. Julia owns an online fabric store called Pit Trading, which sells deadstock designer fabrics, European imports, patterns and sewing kits. She's also a massive fan of making lingerie and loves sharing her passion with others through her other business, The Lingerie Society. Julia creates bra and sewing kits and patterns, makes sew-along YouTube videos, holds sewing retreats, gets experts in to run lingerie classes. Basically, anything to do with lingerie, she's into it. You can follow Julia at The Lioness Seamstress on Instagram. And by the end of this episode, I'm sure Julia is going to wave her magic wand on you, like she did on me, and inspire you to give bra making a go. Here's Julia. Welcome to the podcast, Julia. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Before we begin, as I always do, please tell our listeners what you're wearing today. Uh, what am I wearing? I've got my um, dragon fruit dress from, um, I'm not sure how to pronounce her name and I hate pronouncing people's names wrong, but it's Karamia or Karamaya. Um, she's a designer from Hawaii, I think. Uh, and I've also got my Friday Pattern Company Heather blazer on today because it nice. is cold and rainy in Sydney, for, which is crazy for the end of September, but here we are. <laughs> and dare I ask, are you wearing anything else underneath? I am. I actually do have, <laughs> I do have a me-made bra on today. It's the Evie bra from the Lingerie Society. And all my fabrics are, of course, from Pit Trading. <laughs> I don't shop anywhere else. <laughs> and the reason why I ask that is because you do make a lot of lingerie, which we are going to talk about because it's a massive part of your world. Yeah. Um, before we do that, though, your Instagram name is The Lioness Seamstress. Yeah. How did that name come about? So I used to have a another business <laughs> um, where I made kids um, decor, like cushions and um, things for their rooms and that sort of thing. And it was called White Cub Collective. It had a very Scandi sort of vibe about it. And I always call my kids my cubs. <laughs> They're my, my little lion cubs. So the lioness seamstress was just kind of a, a play on that, an evolution of that. Yeah. And how many of the five kids did you have at the time? When you had that business? Um, I think I had three of them at the time. <laughs> so you got two more cubs. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and how are, how old are they now? Uh, so my oldest just turned 16. And then I have my other daughter's 14, my one beautiful boy who's seven, and the twins are three and a half. Oh, I was going to ask if you had twins in that mix. <laughs> yeah, our twins were the last ones. So they were, let's, let's have a fourth child. And... <laughs> We got a bonus one. <laughs> so you are the owner of Pit Trading, which from my understanding, looking at your site, because there's so much that you do, it's an online <laughs> fabric store. So it sells dead stock designer fabrics, yep. European imports and patterns. But you have such a massive passion for lingerie making as well, because yes. there's other things like courses and kits and things. So can you just explain to our listeners everything that you do that is sewing related? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so Pit Trading has been going for, gosh, since before I was born. It was my parents' business before it was mine. 
wow. and it's evolved a lot over time. It started with them going to the markets and selling fabric, cut fabric pieces. Um, and then obviously over the many years it's evolved and um, and I guess our dead stock is the main component of that. So we buy a lot of our stock from Australian designers. So when they finish their production for a season, they're obviously not going to use those fabrics, those prints again. So they clear everything out and we go in and buy whatever they've got left over for the season. And it means that we can pick things up. A lot of their fabrics are European imports, things that they've had specially made for their brand. And we can pick them up at a really reasonable price, often a lot less than they've paid for it. So it's a lot less than wholesale and then pass that on to our customers. So they're buying designer fabric at a really reasonable price. We used to have a, a bricks and mortar store that um, probably five, six years ago, we started venturing into the online space and thought that at some point we would make the change and we weren't quite sure what it was going to be that would push us over the the edge to make that jump and make that leap to go solely online and it turned out to be my twins <laughs> um, so when I was pregnant with them we closed the physical store and went solely online which turned out to be the best decision really because not long after that we had COVID so being online was the best place to be <laughs> so where was this and physical store uh, in Ramsgate in Sydney. Okay. What was it like as a kid with your parents having this fabric store? Were you into it at the time? Did you hang around the store much? Yes, a lot. <laughs> and I think a lot of it was, you know, my parents worked really hard. They worked six days a week and we would just tag along with them. We would be in the back of the van. You and your and brothers and sisters? or Me and my brother and sister. Mm going to the markets and we'd hang out in the back of the van or later on when they had a warehouse we would be at the warehouse and you know in the school holidays we would climb up on racks of fabric and play a game or <laughs> entertain ourselves because mum and dad were always working but did you, you ever know? think your life would be the same like did you ever think you'd go into the fabric business no i didn't until probably later in high school when I kind of really got into sewing and thought, yeah, I, I want to be in this this field. Um, but as a kid, it was just our norm. There were, it's just what we grew up with. And my kids are sort of the same now because in the school holidays, they come and help me. And <laughs> So you've got the fabric part of it. There's also patterns that you sell online. Yep. So we stock a lot of indie pattern designers we just want to be the sort of store where people can get everything that they need so you don't have to shop around and I'll get my pattern here and then I'll get my fabric there and I'll get my thread here we want yep. you to be able to find everything that you need in one space and also to support other small businesses because we're a small business there's only two of us <laughs> um, and I want to support other small businesses as well who's the other then, person um, Caroline, who works for me, we've been friends for, gosh, 20 years and have worked together pretty much on and off that whole time. So very lucky to have Caroline. She's immensely creative and inspiring and a really hard worker. So I would be completely lost without her. <laughs> That's great. Someone you can bounce ideas off, especially yeah. these retreats that you've started because they're amazing. 
Yeah, that was so much fun. We did our first retreat back in May. Mm. Um, we just wanted to make a really luxe experience. Like there's a lot of other retreats around, well, not a lot, but there's a few sewing retreats that it's sort of camp style accommodation. And we just wanted to make something. I thought if I'm going to be away for a weekend, I want to go somewhere really nice <laughs> and do some sewing. So we found a really beautiful venue and we wanted it to be lingerie focused um, and also have some fun while we were there. So we had a cocktail party and a dinner and some really great days sewing and it was amazing. We all had so much fun. So we're doing it again in November. So the retreats are held in Jerry Gong. Yes. Is, is that is there anything significant about Jerry Gong that you selected? Um, we just wanted somewhere that was not too far from Sydney. So it's only about an hour and a half drive from the centre of Sydney, but it still feels like you're on holidays. So it's a really beautiful little coastal town. The hotel, the resort itself is really tucked away. So you do just feel like you're in a resort, even though you've only been in the car for an hour and a half to get there. So it's a really lovely venue. And we actually had people come from all over Australia, which was incredible. And what do you do at the retreat? I know it's lingerie focused. So what do people, what can people experience there? It starts on the Friday night with a cocktail party. And then the Saturday and Sunday, we just sew and you can sew whatever you like. Obviously, it's lingerie focused, but we had people making pajamas, swimsuits. Some people made bras. And it's just a really great way to be around a lot of other lingerie sewers and connect, inspire, get ideas. And whatever you wanted to do, there was someone in the room who had done it before. You say, oh, I really want to try this. Oh, yeah, I did that. I can show you how to do that. And we had all skill levels. We had people who had never sewn lingerie ever, right up to really experienced lingerie makers. Everyone was really happy to help each other and to give ideas and, oh, why don't you try it this way instead of that way? Or I've done that before. Let me show you how to do it. It was a lot of fun. The business that you took over from your parents, is it very different to what they did in their day when they were sourcing fabrics or have you kind of got new suppliers now? It is very different. When my mum and dad started the business, they were both working other jobs, normal jobs, <laughs> and wanted to make a bit of extra money. So started going to the markets, selling cut fabric pieces. And in those days, it was pieces of fleecy and ribbing because everybody in the 80s was making tracksuits because you couldn't buy a tracksuit or it was really expensive. And people were sewing a lot for their kids, making T-shirts and that sort of thing because there was no fast fashion back then and clothes were expensive. So people sewed because it was the cheaper option. And then all the tariffs changed on imports of fabrics and clothing and the bottom really dropped out of the fabric market because all of a sudden you could go and buy a, a tracksuit for ten dollars and you could buy a t-shirt for five dollars and people just weren't sewing that sort of thing anymore because it was cheaper to buy it so things kind of flipped on their head a little bit and they had to be resourceful and change and do something different and that's kind of when the dead stock thing started to happen where they thought, okay, where can we get stock that's a bit different, that people might be more inspired to buy that rather than just track suiting that they obviously didn't want anymore. 
And so they built up a lot of connections with Australian brands over the years who were manufacturing here. But of course, that's changed over time as well. There are so many people not manufacturing here Mm. anymore, or a lot of brands do their sampling here, but not their actual production, which means there's just not the quantity of fabric here to buy anymore. So we were kind of kind of struggling to find enough stock because there's just not enough brands here manufacturing to buy from. So that's kind of when we started to bring in some European fabrics in brands that people really know and trust and you kind of know what you're buying. So if you're buying online and you're buying, say, Liberty, you know what you're going to get. So we started to bring in a lot more European brands and then probably in lockdown that changed everything again because the lingerie side of it just went crazy in lockdown. Did it? I guess people weren't making clothes because they weren't going anywhere, but apparently everybody was at home in really fancy lingerie. <laughs> Dead stock is such a horrible word, but... <laughs> it's a exp- funny word, isn't, isn't it? it? But- Could- Can you explain to our listeners who don't know, what is dead stock fabric? So most designers, when they design a collection, the prints and the fabrics that they use will be iconic to that collection. So they're not going to then use that same print or that same fabric next season. So it's really, it's obsolete to them. So it's going to sit in their warehouse and gather dust or they'll pay storage fees or they can move it on. So if they're not going to use it anymore, they might as well sell it and move it on, and that's where we come into that. I guess they have to estimate how much they'll need and probably even order more for that just in case. You know, yeah. They don't want to run out of a one-off print that they're yeah. never going to use again. <laughs> and that's the thing, and a lot of it is just guesswork. I mean, you can look at something and think, I love this print, this is going to be amazing, this is going to sell great, mm. and then it doesn't. <laughs> mm. I guess that's the that's the nature of the beast. So how do you decide then what dead stock fabric you're going to handpick for your online site? Usually um, with the designers, I'll have to take the whole lot. So I don't get to go in and say, I'll have that, but not that, and that, but that. And it's really just a case of, okay, this is what I've got. Mm. And I make an offer and they accept or decline and I just take whatever they've got. Sometimes if I go in and I look and I think, oh, I don't know if my customers are going to like this or if this is going to, to sell, I might just offer a lower price and think, okay, well, if I can get this at that price, then I can sell it quite cheap and just move it on if it's something that I don't think is really going to be very desirable. And I have brands that I work with constantly. So at the end of each season, they'll ring me, I've got stock, can you come and have a look? And generally I know the type of fabric they're going to have and whether it's going to work for me and my business. So, But are you competing with other people also looking for dead stock for their businesses? And then does it become a bit of a price war, I guess, if someone wants something really different and unique? Yeah, um, there's definitely competition particularly because there's not that many people to buy from these days. Um, But a lot of the designers that I work with are quite loyal, which is nice. Mm. Um, 
So because we've got such a long-standing relationship, they'll call me first and and I don't underpay. So, <laughs> you know, if you've developed this relationship where you're giving them a fair price and it's a nice, easy transaction and you're helping them move some stock on and they're calling you first because you've got a good relationship, then it kind of works for everybody. So what happens then when you can't move on these dead stocks that you've thought was would sell really well, but maybe you had lots left over? Yeah, so then we have to get creative. <laughs> and sometimes it's just about um, giving people ideas of what to do with things. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's hard online to describe a fabric really well and you know, if it's a tricky fabric to describe, people might not quite get what you're meant to make with it or might not be inspired by it. But then those things, we tend to then make something up in the fabric and show, oh, this, you know, Mm. look how we've made this up and look how great it turned out. And then it kind of sparks people, oh, yeah, okay, cool. I can can see how that would work for that fabric. Mm. And I think everything on your site is sold by the metre. You know how some sites sell by the quarter of a metre or half a metre? Yeah, Early on, we just decided it was easier (laughs) for everybody if things were by the metre. There was no confusion with, oh, if it says this price, is that for a metre or is that for only a quarter of a metre? And, oh, I I thought I was buying a metre and I've only received a quarter of a metre. And and it also means that, you know, a lot of our dead stock is really reasonable prices and it wouldn't be financially viable for my business to be selling small pieces of it. It's just too labor intensive, too time consuming. So we just go with a meter. Hmm. But that said, if anybody ever emails and says, I only want a meter 20 or a meter and a half, of course we're willing to cut smaller amounts. We just keep the website at a meter and most people seem to be quite happy with that. And you said, obviously, you sell other fabrics, not just dead stock. So for example, Nerida Hansen, Merchant and Mills, Liberty, Lady McElroy, Do you go directly to the source there or is there a wholesaler in between? Um, Most of those big brands have their own wholesale division, so you buy directly from them. Um, There's a few that work, a few of the European ones that work under a distribution company, but most of them have their own wholesale brand. Do you enjoy that part of the business? Because you do a lot of things, like I said, the, the retreats, the kits, the fabric... And then obviously you've got notions and things like that as well, the patterns, which is the part that you kind of enjoy the most? I don't know. I think I like all the different parts of it for different reasons. I still really enjoy sourcing and it's kind of the thrill of the chase. (laughs) You know, when you go and see a designer or a cutter, you never know what they're going to have. And it's kind of exciting because you turn up and sometimes it's like oh my gosh look what I found it's the mother load of beautiful fabric and then other times it's like oh that's very exciting do you go overseas then or in the past before COVID had you gone overseas to go to any trade shows or meet suppliers at factories and things no no it's all all connections yeah yeah And then it's you with your car shoving these big rolls of fabric in the back. That's what I envision. It is, literally. (laughs) A big car, by the way, not not a small one. Sometimes I turn up and and they say to me, oh, there's no way that's all going to fit. And I said, no, 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 wait. 
let me <laughs> let me work my magic here. I can fit five kids in this car. I can fit a few <laughs> rolls of fabric. So as I mentioned before, we're going to start talking about lingerie now. You have a massive passion for making lingerie. First of all, yeah. can you define what is lingerie exactly? Oh, gosh. Well, I guess, I mean, you're talking about bras and knickers, but then it's also everything else like sleepwear, even loungewear, I think. Why do you think so many people struggle with ready-to-wear bras and... I know a lot of people just would love to go braless if they could. They just don't like wearing them. Why do you yeah, think that is? I think it's probably because they're not wearing the right size. Mm. Because once you get a bra that fits you perfectly, it's really very comfortable. It's like you don't even know you're wearing it, right? Exactly, mm. yeah. And I guess it's really hard, you know, if you're not exactly standard size, it's always going to be a little bit uncomfortable, which I guess is why a lot of people sew their own. Mm. I just really love how quick lingerie making is. I don't have heaps of time to sew, and I love that you can start a project and literally finish it in an hour, and it'll be something really beautiful. Do you know that must be a myth then? Because for someone like myself who hasn't made a bra before, I, I would think it's a labour-intensive, I'm going to be spending all weekend trying to get everything it's right. It's really not. And I think, I mean, the fitting is obviously a different thing. Once you get the fit right, then you can just pump out <laughs> the bras so quickly. And I think that's one of the myths. People think lingerie making is going to be really hard, and it's really not. So why do people get into it then? I think a lot of it is not being able to buy what you want or what fits. I don't think until I started making bras, I ever had a really, really well-fitting bra. And I'm not sort of on the higher end of the size range or on the lower end of the size range. I'm pretty much, you know, in that middle range, but still things off the rack are never going to be custom fit they're always going to be stock standard sizing so really making it for yourself is really the only way to get something that fits perfectly mm. do people also love the fact that it's just something for themselves that they can feel sexy in and i think so and you can be a bit adventurous with it too like i use colors in lingerie making that i would never wear so fluoro colors or mm. really bold bright prints that i just would not wear as an outer garment but are really fun for lingerie so you can be really experimental and do really fun things with it and also great for scraps as well because yes you don't need a lot of fabric do you no you don't need hardly any fabric well some some might say mm, yes i would i'd need heaps for my <laughs> knickers i mean i know I, I need heaps for mine but yeah no still good scrap busting yeah, definitely. And can it get addictive then? If if you've never done it before, do you find people just can't stop? 100%. I'm addicted. <laughs> Dare I ask I how many? I don't need any more bras. How I many do, do not have? need any more bras. Oh, probably 30, 40. And you've probably done a cull now and then as well. I did. Actually, we just put in a new wardrobe recently and I did a massive cull and I can now say that Every piece of lingerie in my drawer is handmade. I don't oh, have wow. anything that I bought. So um, you do all your underwear and your bras? Yeah. Like, 
undies, bras, and do yeah. you do camisoles or, like you said, that is a bit of more outerwear? Do you do slips or anything like that as well? Yeah, stuff that crosses over into pyjama, loungewear type stuff. Yeah. So why do you think then so many people who have been sewing for so long still don't think their skills are up to scratch for making bras and underwear? There's still that perception that it's really hard, like yeah, genius. Yeah, it's, it's weird, isn't it? And I had that as well. I had that that fear that, oh, this is going to be really difficult and I'm not going to be able to do this until probably four or five years ago. And I thought, no, I'm just going to give it a go and started with something really simple like a bralette that it didn't really require any fitting because it was out of stretch fabric and, you know, you had to play around with the techniques of applying fold-over elastic and pico. But apart from that, it was a pretty pretty forgiving first project and then when I made it, I thought, oh, wow, that was actually really easy. <laughs> and look what I made. And I just, it kind of just snowballed from there because once you make one piece and you realise, actually, this isn't that hard, then you really do catch the bug. The only thing I can say is that if you can do a class with somebody who is good with fitting, if you want to get into making wired bras, because it's really hard to fit yourself. I mean, you can look in a mirror and think, oh, do I need to take a, a pinch out there or I need to make my bridge wider? Or, But having somebody who can just look at you and go, okay, these are the adjustments we need to make is really, really valuable. Because once you get that wired bra that fits perfectly, you're, you're made. <laughs> So you actually did that. You took a course because you'd been making yeah. bras for a while and then you thought, I'm going to do a course. So was that with Michelle? Yes. Michelle Lewis? Yeah. Yeah, so Michelle invited me to come and do her class and I had made before that lots of wired bras but I'd never worked on the fitting because a lot of my sewing was purely for content. So when we'd make up a new kit, I would sew it up to show people what it was going to look like. But I wasn't focusing on getting the fit right for me. So going and doing Michelle's class was just a game changer for me because I got the fitting right. And also tweaked some of my techniques. She is a wealth of knowledge, mm. really, and so generous with her knowledge. If you're in Sydney or people now even come from interstate to do her classes. Really? Wow. Yeah, she's amazing. You've actually got a on your, the Lingerie Society on your website. She's got a class coming up. I think it's yes. In. There is one spot left for that oh. class. <laughs> By the time this podcast comes out, this <laughs> class would be well and truly over. Uh, <laughs> but that's amazing. So you you also offer courses um, now and then for how to make bras. Is that yeah. in conjunction with people <laughs> like Michelle who have all this knowledge and expertise, or do you do yes. them yourself as well? No, we we do get Michelle to teach them. Um, so we started doing pop-ups again that, a couple of months ago, which was our first one since before COVID. So when we closed the physical store, we used to do a pop-up store once a month. And then when COVID hit, we obviously couldn't do any of that. And I wasn't sure whether we would go back to it because mm. we're so busy with the online. I just didn't really have the time for that as well. But people kept asking, please, <laughs> please, can we shop in person? So we decided to do one and found a really great space where we could run classes at the same time. And so we asked Michelle to come and run 
a bra making class and yeah six people came along and learned to make a bra do you select the fabrics that you want to bring to this pop-up site for the day yeah so we just try and bring a good selection of everything which is really hard because we have over 5,000 products oh, wow. <laughs> but we just take sort of what's what's selling at the time what's the most popular um, just a, a good selection of inspiring things and where are they where are the pop-ups held somewhere in Sydney uh, I imagine in Caring Bar in, in Caring Sydney. Bar yeah. so is that near your warehouse so you don't have to travel too far it to is. bring all that stuff yeah. in <laughs> yeah. the back of your car yes <laughs> <laughs> What do you think the most challenging parts then is of sewing a bra? In my mind, I think of it as like that back piece, the back kind of buckle bit, but also the underwiring because I I really don't wear anything other than underwiring. And so that scares me. So what would you say the most challenging parts would um, be? Honestly, none of it is hard. And I know I know that sounds silly because you look at a bra and think, oh, God, this is intimidating. How could I make that? But when you break it down into the steps, none of them are hard. And you're basically straight stitching or using a zigzag. You don't need to use an overlocker. It's all done on your machine. I think if you can start with a kit, because I think one of the things, one of the hurdles that people face is, oh, where will I find all the things? Mm. Because lingerie making can be quite specific in the widths of elastic you need. And I I think that's another thing. Don't get too bogged down in if the pattern says 10 mil elastic, I can't use 12 mil. Well, you probably can. It should be fine. Give it a go. You know, I don't think we give ourselves enough leeway with things. You know, just try it. See if it works. Don't use your beautiful fancy fabrics for the first one. So you sell so many kits then on your website. Are they all your own, the Lingerie Society's patterns? Uh, the a lot of them are, yeah. Um, sometimes when another brand brings out a pattern, we'll do a kit specifically for that. Uh, but most of them are our own patterns. And what's in the kit? Like you said, everything you need. So what is in yeah. there? Yeah, everything you need. So depending on what the pattern is, but for a wide bra, you'll have your fabric, your bra tool, your power mesh, all your elastics, your rings and sliders, your bra back, and then all the little nice little lingerie society things like a little tag and a bow and a charm. <laughs> it's like opening up a little box of Lego and all these little bits and pieces fall out. <laughs> That's me freaking out again. <laughs> Actually, you have a video on YouTube on how to make a bra and you recommend people do like a test bra first? Yeah. If I was going to sew a new bra pattern, I would always make a fit bra first. So every bra pattern is going to be different and every brand will have their own measuring system and even if you think, oh, okay, yep, I've done my measurements, that's my size, you might make one up and it does not fit so you don't want to use your beautiful supplies for that so always make a fit bra first you want to use fabrics that are similar to what you're going to use so you still want to use a power mesh for the back band and a non-stretch fabric for your bridge so that you can be sure that when you do cut into your beautiful fabrics it's going to fit right you also have YouTube videos on sew-alongs which is great as well they're amazing so that helps people I guess again those that have yeah. never done it before don't know how to 
yeah, the sew-alongs are really great. Yeah, I'm a really visual person. I I can read a page of instructions and then go, okay, well, that meant nothing to me. <laughs> but if somebody shows me how to do something, okay, yeah, I see, I get that. So when I write the instructions for our patterns, and some people probably find it frustrating, they're quite scant because I just basically go through the steps and I always reference the instructions with please watch the sew along because mm. things that you can say in writing just don't translate sometimes. Like if you're trying to explain to somebody how to make a strap, an adjustable strap, it's just impossible in words. <laughs> but if you can show someone, okay, thread it through this side up, through the slider, and then we're going to go back through the ring and then back through the slider this way, it it's a visual thing. So I would much prefer a sew along to written instructions. So that's why I do it that way. Mm. And what is the Lingerie Society? Is that part of um, pit trading? Like, is that your business <clears throat> yeah, as so well? Yeah, so that's another business that I started, which was in lockdown <laughs> as well. Like I said, the lingerie sewing side of things just went crazy in lockdown. And we were making a lot of kits but they weren't sort of specific to a particular pattern. They were kind of just a general lingerie kit. So you could do whatever you wanted with them really. And people liked that, but also wanted specific kits. So a wired bra kit, a kit for this bralette, a kit for knickers. And we came up with the idea to have a subscription service that gave you a collection of lingerie supplies that wasn't for a specific pattern that you could really just let your imagination run wild with and do whatever you want and you would get more than one piece out of the box and that really took off as well during lockdown so each month we send out a box which we've put together so usually it starts with a fabric or a lace and we build a color palette from that. And then we think, okay, what what would you want to be making with this? Oh, I think this would make a really good cami, or I think it would make a great slip, or this would be a great wide bra. So what would we need to put in the box so that you've got all the things you need to make those pieces? And that was another thing that um, really connected us with Michelle because she started subscribing to the Lingerie Society and would post what she'd made from each box. And mm. it was so inspiring because... You know, I can have in my head what I think people should make from the box, but then somebody else's interpretation can be yes. vastly different. And it's so inspiring to see what other people come up with based on this collection of fabrics and trims that we've put together. Mm. Is there the Maker Society as well? Yes. Is that another business? <laughs> what are you doing? What, your mind just went crazy in COVID. <laughs> was this pre-COVID? And you know what? I've probably got too many things going on but um I'm the type of person that if I get an idea I just do it I don't sort of don't think, think too, too much, much about yeah. it I just give it a go and see if it works and I think it's it stemmed from you know being online sometimes it's hard to source the things that you need for a project so mm. we thought we would curate some kits where you've got everything that you need for that project so you've got the pattern you've got the fabric the thread any notions you might need 
particularly for things like jeans or, Mm. you know, where you're thinking, okay, is this fabric going to work for this pattern and then what else do I need where we've put it all together and, you know, okay, that's going to work. That fabric is suitable for that pattern and I've got everything else that I need for that project in the one kit. Wow, it's a good idea. Yeah, I think it makes it easy for people, um, particularly if you're new to sewing and you just want a particular project and you want everything you need for that project. Mm. So you have a blog on your website. Sometimes you have yep. guest bloggers and sometimes it's just <clears throat> yourself. Um, yep. But in one of those blogs, you teamed up with FAF. Yeah. FAF, and you've been sharing some blogs on your website showing off all the new FAF, is it 3.0 creative machine? Yeah, yeah. Has that been fun experimenting with that machine? Oh, it's so good. <laughs> I've always been a FAF girl. I've always had a FAF machine, but my machine prior to this one is probably 25 years old. It still sews beautifully, but this one is really amazing. <laughs> I was talking to the people from FAF about another project um, <laughs> and they asked me if I would write some content for their blog because they were looking for a garment sewer as opposed to a quilter. They have a lot of content on their blog that's quilting based, but they wanted to really pitch their machines at the home sewer who's not a quilter, who sews garments for themselves. So they sent me one of their beautiful machines and I just get to play with it. <laughs> in exchange for um, content for their blog and their social media and that sort of thing. So it's been amazing because the machine has quilting capability, uh, not quilting, sorry, embroidery capabilities, which I've never had a machine with embroidery mm. capabilities before. So it's just opened a whole new world to me. So now you're embroidering bras or bits of material, putting it on a yeah. bra. Yeah, yeah. So I wasn't sure if that was going to work because Brachel is so fine and soft, but it actually worked really well. So yeah, it's a whole new, whole new world. I was just thinking, getting back to the kits, do you do any kits for men, like boxes or briefs? No. And you know what? It's funny because whenever we've done kits for things to sew for other people, they don't sell. <laughs> they just want to sew for themselves. They do. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. So, I mean, we would if there was a demand for it. Mm. But, um, you know, we've done kits for kids' things. I don't think we've ever done a men's thing. Maybe we should try that. But, yeah, they didn't sell. <laughs> Can bra patterns be made to be used um, making, like, top dresses and swimwear? Um, yeah, definitely. Definitely. I don't know if you've seen that... Um, rose cafe bustier yes i have that's a good example of that which is basically a bra with an extended long line um bridge so definitely and michelle actually posted something on her um instagram this week where she'd made a swimsuit um using her fit bra and her that. knickers pattern and just basically bridged the gap <laughs> So definitely you can make outerwear using your lingerie patterns. Is there a difference if the, if you're using wovens or knits though, using a bra pattern or an underwear pattern? 
Yes, yeah, so most wired, yeah, most wired bras will be for a woven fabric, um, and you do need to take that into account. Yeah. So there might be a bit of playing around with this pattern if you're thinking of making clothing. Yeah, around. yeah. So you might downsize if you were like like Michelle with her swimsuit. You might go down a size if you were using a lycra, and it would take a bit of a bit of fitting, a bit of playing around. Is power mesh always used for the back of the bra? And are there different qualities of power mesh? Yeah, power mesh is pretty much always used for the back band of a bra. You do get different weights. Usually we just call it power mesh if it's your stock standard power mesh or some things we will call lightweight power mesh. So it's still that really stable, not too stretchy knit but the lighter weight ones have a little bit more stretch. They're a bit softer. Fascinating because I've never sewn a bra before. You've kind of sparked my interest Give it now. a go. I've Just made give underwear. Give it a go. <laughs> I make all my undies. Do you? Yeah. Oh, you've got all the skills. I just don't. Yeah, it's the underwiring part that kind of scares me a little bit, I think. Yeah, probably finding the right size underwire because there are a lot of different options and then different bras, different patterns will require a different size or shaped underwire, which I think is why it's so good to just get that one pattern right and to know which underwire you need for that pattern and just stick to it. Mm. And then you can make variations of it. You can change the cups. You can style it differently, but just stick to that pattern. (laughs) Is there one particular pattern that would be good for beginners that you can think of from the Lingerie Society? For a wired bra, our Evie is great. It's a really simple two-part cup. The construction is really easy. It's a great place to start. Start with a simple pattern like the Evie where there's no power bar or too much fiddling around. Get a kit and the pattern and just give it a go. And what about for under, uh, non-underwire bras? What kind of pattern would you suggest for that? Because not everyone likes underwire. Yeah. Um, so for like a bralette, I really like the Harper bralette. I wouldn't wear a bralette during the day to go out. I feel like I just wouldn't get enough shape. <laughs> but for comfort and at home, I love that one. And it it just depends what you like. For my teenage girls, I make them, they really like the Lily bralette. It's really similar to a lot of the Bonds bralettes, you know, just really simple Mm. knit construction with a wide bottom band. Uh, So they love that one. I make that for them a lot. But they're obviously a smaller cup size and that's really suitable for them. Mm. So it just depends what your needs are and what you want, really. So do you have the kits, you have the Lily bra kits as well as just the pattern? You can buy the pattern separately? That's actually a free pattern, the Lily. Um, And, yeah, then we've got the kits as Mm. well. It's quiz time. So with the quiz, you need to answer in one word or one sentence. Some of these you've already answered, so I'm going to skip over them. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Do you have a favourite bra pattern? I do. It's the Evie. I love it. <laughs> With everything that you do running a small business, do you get much time to sew for yourself? Um, yes and no. <laughs> I don't get a lot of time to sew, but I do carve out time to sew because it's part of my business. It's part of my job. 
So are you sewing lingerie or are you sewing clothes? Both. Hmm. Yeah. What things do you like to sew for yourself when you get the time? Laundry. <laughs> and what about clothes? What Do you wear a lot of me-made clothes? Or do I do. you... For clothes, it's dresses. I'm a dress girl. Oh. I just wear dresses year-round. <laughs> Have you ever come across a dead stock fabric that you kept for yourself because you instantly fell in love with it? 100%. <laughs> the whole roll? <laughs> well, sometimes it's only one piece. <laughs> oh, you mean like a remnant? Yeah. Oh. Sometimes there might only be a metre or two metres and, you know, I just can't let it go. So th this dead stock could be literally a metre, not like yeah. 50 metres of fabric. Yeah, yeah, quite often it's small pieces. Oh, and that's when you sell it as a remnant online. Yeah. So have you found anything recently that you thought, it's mine? Gosh, <laughs> um, I do have a piece of lycra that came from probably my favourite Australian designer. <laughs> and it's been floating around in our warehouse for a few weeks and I think I've picked it up to put a ticket on it to put it online as a remnant five or six times and just thought, no, I can't, I can't do it, I can't let it go. <laughs> What is it? Can you describe it to us? It's it's a paisley print lycra and it's just got the most beautiful colours in it. Lemons and blues and pinks and it's a bit retro and I just love it. And there's only maybe a metre. So mm. I think I just need to take it home. And do what with it? Are you planning on making swimsuit? I'd make a swimsuit, yeah. Because mm. yeah. you can make bras with lycra, can't you? You can, yeah. Or you yeah. can make them as swimmers like you said you yeah. can use a bra pattern and use it as swimmers yeah exactly last question how many bras do you think you've ever made in your life oh gosh ever made mm, probably 50 yeah because there's definitely bras that i've made that haven't worked out <laughs> or are visually okay and have been fine to photograph for content but haven't fit me properly mm. and I make for my daughters as well so yeah probably more than 50. <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the podcast Julia thank you for having me I've actually personally learned so much about sewing lingerie I'm sure other listeners have too oh good I hope some people get inspired to just give it a go thank you for listening to the Australia Sews podcast to find the show notes to this and all previous episodes, go to australiasewspodcast.com. Now, back to sewing.